Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for joining. I know it's a busy holiday season, and I just hope you are all safe and doing well. I know this can also be a very stressful time and also kind of an interesting time for people who are struggling uh, with food and body image. And, you know, quite truthfully, I hate this time of the year just in terms of I know what's coming with all the, you know, it's already started actually with all the ads and, uh, you know, New Year resolution stuff, New Year, New You. Um, it's always this time of the year where I just kind of cringe and um, know people are kind of getting you know, tempted to, you know, try a new diet or get tempted to, you know, try a new program or something like that. And, you know, I I always know it's coming, but I just want to talk about that a little bit. And um, for any of you who are listening and kind of wondering if they should start a new program or being tempted or feel like, you know, now's the time to kind of, you know, take on some new goals for the year. Um, I just want to talk about what kind of goals those might be for you. So uh, I have an amazing guest with me today. She's been here before. She's somebody I respect uh, wholeheartedly in this field. Um, I'm not going to say much other than that. I'm going to introduce her and then bring her on because she's got a lot to say. You guys are in for a huge treat today. Uh, Dr. Michelle May is a recovered yo-yo dieter and former family physician. She's also the founder of the Am I Hungry Mindful Eating Programs and Training which, you know, those are to help individuals break free from mindless and emotional eating and seamless yo-yo dieting. Uh, She is the award-winning author of the Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat book series. And again, I'm very thrilled to have her here. All right. Well, Michelle, you are one of my favorite guests to have, and I'm so glad you are back and such great timing. Um, This is the time of year everyone thinks about those New Year's resolutions and all these ads are out talking about them. And well, as you and I both know, they don't work, but I'm glad you're here to talk all about that with me and for people to hear. Uh, What do you have to say about all this and this time of the year? Well, besides that it's making me feel nuts. I mean, it's, it really, to me, it's the uh, epitome of the eat, repent, repeat cycle. You know, people have been, eating all through the holidays with kind of a mentality of, well, I've already blown it. I might as well keep eating. And anyway, I'm going to start my new diet in January. Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately, with that sort of mindset, I think it really causes people to move from one extreme to the other. I mean, it's it's not a good place because when you're eating everything and feeling stuffed and regretful all the time, that doesn't feel good. And then anticipating restriction and deprivation, that doesn't feel good. So at either end of the extreme, we're not really feeling that great. So I'm all about trying to find the middle. 
which is great. And, you know, I wish that message was put out there more. Um, and I got to thinking about this. I was, it was actually last week I was listening. I still listen to the radio. Um, but my favorite radio show, they were talking just about this. They were, I don't know where they heard this study from, but I guess some study was pulling people and they were saying, oh, the average person was saying they were going to gain, I'm not going to say what pound, but X amount of pounds this holiday season and planning to enjoy, quote unquote, enjoy it and be fine with it. And then to your point, like burn it all off and, you know, come turn of the new year, just do something to, you know, make up for it kind of thing. And so even, Mm -hmm. you know, the discussion on like a radio show in the morning is perpetuating this whole mindset of like, just what you're saying, you know, and so how could people not think this is just normal and the way to be and um, like, what's wrong with this mentality? Of course, that's what everyone does. Start of the new year, it's fresh, new, mm. just repent for what you did over the holidays. And um, yeah, I, I guess it's just the, is it the normal mindset? Is it what everyone does? Well, it's diet culture for sure. I mean, this is the problem. I mean, it's it's so prevalent that actually people have begun to think of this as a normal way of being. But I'm here to tell you, and you already know, that this is not normal. This is disordered eating. It's yo-yo dieting. It's weight cycling. And it's not necessary. There's a whole different way to approach eating that isn't about one extreme or the other. It's really about the middle. So one of the ways I describe this is that through the holidays, people think of themselves as being out of control or you know, giving in or off the wagon or whatever the, you know, whatever the phrases might be, and that they're going to get in control when the new year comes. Really what it takes to manage your eating long-term without moving from one extreme to the other is being in charge. It's about making conscious decisions, including a conscious decision to enjoy that, you know, that little plate of Christmas cookies or to, you know, enjoy yourself at a party and all this without feeling like you're giving up on your diet or you've blown it. Because here's the problem. If you feel like this is your only opportunity to eat foods you love, and then you end up overeating them, then you feel terrible physically and emotionally. Mm -hmm. And then when you diet, then you go to the other extreme of missing out on the things you love and restricting and depriving yourself. And that feels terrible too. Mm -hmm. So who wants to move from one feeling of terrible to the other feeling of terrible, when in fact, we can make decisions every day that are on balance and literally allow us to eat the foods we love and and eat the foods that love us too. So I want to go back to a couple of things. So as you know, I'm a facilitator of your program, which I love, and I've been helping people with just this for, for years and years. Um, and I think if people get this kind of look in their eye when they hear the difference between being you know, in control versus being in charge. And I think that's a great distinction. So, you know, for anyone listening is kind of going, well, what, what's the difference? Can we yeah. kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's, that is a great question because they sound very similar on surface. I looked up the definition of control one time and it was things like, um, you know, um, restraint and, uh, willpower and other words that indicated 
well, indicated hanging on by your fingernails, basically. Mm-hmm. Whereas in charge is about leadership and decision making and consciousness. I mean, when you're in charge of yourself, you consider all of your options, you consider your physical state, your emotional and mental state, and then you make a decision from there. That decision may 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 involve eating an extra Christmas cookie if you want. It may involve uh, skipping the gym that day because you're going to go, you know, walk the neighborhood with your kids to look at Christmas lights. I mean, it's being in charge is about having the flexibility to decide for yourself at any given time. The reason that's important is because restriction and deprivation and and willpower are limited. We can't do them forever. And so if if that's our approach to managing our eating, then we end up swinging from one extreme to the other continuously. So I hear this a lot too, people saying, well, if I, you know, if I just left it to myself and, you know, I just let go of all of, you know, my routine or what I'm doing, you know, I don't even know what I would do or I would, you know, people just, they get scared of that. Like, I don't even mm. know what I would do. Um, it, yeah. It's scary to people. And so hearing you say like, oh, okay, enjoy the foods you love. Um, don't deprive yourself. I think that's a very scary thought for some people. Yeah, it is scary. It, I I came into this work because I was also in that cycle myself for many, many years. And it feels scary, if not unbelievable, to even think that it might be possible to eat what you love, because that's not what we've learned. We forget that it's actually the restriction and deprivation that end up leading to feelings of loss of control. So what you and I help people learn how to do, I I tend to think of as three stages of transformation. So the first stage is learning to listen to and trust our body wisdom. So that's learning how to listen to our cues of hunger and satiety and to realize when we want to eat for reasons other than our body's needs when we're using food in other ways. The second stage of transformation is to learn how to eat fearlessly, meaning that we stop making foods good or bad, and we simply make foods uh, on an even playing field that we can choose from. And then the third stage of transformation is to learn how to meet our emotional needs better than eating does, so that we can enjoy eating when we're hungry and we're wanting food. Not Not that we wouldn't all eat sometimes for reasons other than hunger, It's just that when we're attempting to use food to meet our emotional and other needs, it doesn't work very well. And it takes a lot of food to numb ourselves from our emotions and and situations that are difficult. So we help people learn how to recognize what's really going on and how to meet those needs even better. Thanks for, you know, setting the the three stages there. Um, can we kind of go into each of them a little bit? Because I think there there are struggles, right? So oftentimes, like with the getting in tune with hunger and satiety scale, uh, you know, sensations, I think people who've been on this yo-yo dieting, I find anyway, most people think starving is hunger um, mm. or they 
they go, oh, I'm not hungry in the morning. And so many people I find are, they don't eat breakfast or they don't want to, and they're just struggling with like just eating yeah. in the morning at all. Um, and probably people listening are kind of going, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, me. They yeah. think coffee is breakfast, right? Um, what do you say to people who are struggling with those kinds of things? Just does the first, you know, step as you put it. Yeah, well, you know, we're all born with this natural ability. And I get that a lot of us have unlearned the ability to use those signals to guide our eating. Our culture teaches us to eat on a schedule, you know, eat every three hours so you don't get hungry Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, slam down a few cups of coffee, hit the road and get to work. You know, there's a lot of reasons that people don't listen, including disordered eating and and eating challenges that make them fearful of being hungry. Mm -hmm. So the way that I really try to help people think about this is that your body is constantly giving you information that helps you take care of it. And one of those sources of information is your cues of hunger and satiety. So hunger is really the set of symptoms that comes when your fuel levels are low. So you become more aware of the contractions in your stomach, the grumbling, the growling, the hollowness. You become aware of the falling blood sugar where you're feeling a little bit low energy, maybe irritable or hangry, maybe more difficulty focusing. And of course, these are not just hunger, yes, hunger, no, but they come in varying degrees of hunger. The more attuned you become to listening to your body's signals, then and the more you trust that your body is trying to help you by, by telling you, hey, I need fuel now, the more able you are to begin to feed yourself in a way that meets your needs best. That word trust, right? Trusting that whatever your body is telling you is not a scary thing, right? Like, oh my gosh, because I think people get scared of that feeling, like eating. Um, Well, they get afraid of hunger for a couple of reasons. One is they get afraid because they may have struggled with being too hungry and then feeling out of control with their eating. So by learning to listen to your body, you can help feed yourself before you get to that super, super low blood sugar that can be triggering. And remember, of course, that being really, really hungry doesn't mean you need twice as much food. It doesn't mean to eat fast. It just means to eat soon. So, you know, again, these are, this is a lot and I, I don't mean to overwhelm your listeners, but I think the point here is that I know that our culture has taught us not to trust ourselves. I know that it is scary to think that you might actually be able to manage your eating without looking things up and writing things down and following a schedule. But I'm here to tell you that it changed my life to to stop dieting and start living fully in and in partnership with my own body wisdom. And since then, I've taught thousands and thousands of people how to do that. And I believe that instead of making a New Year's resolution to start another diet, I think what could really pay off would be to make a New Year's resolution to look at this whole eating thing in a completely new transformational way. That's what I'm about. No, I 
<laughs> you preaching in the choir with me, right? Like I think I, I even came up and ap- approached you after I heard you speaking because I I was listening to you and I've also walked my walk as my listeners know and and oh my gosh, like she she gets it. Like that's exactly how I got to recovery. Just what you just said. Stop the dieting. Listen to your body. Um, everything you said made so much sense. And you know you put it in this. <laughs> this great program. And I was like, Oh my gosh, yes. Like people need to learn this. People need to understand this. And the unfortunate thing I think is you're so much quieter, like us doing this work is so much quieter than the diet and beauty industry messages, which is diet, 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 restrict, you know, like control your food, good food, bad food, as you said, like, it's just, to me, it's frustrating. Um, It's frustrating to me too, Christina. I mean, I feel like it's, First of all, it sounds too good to be true because it flies in the face of everything we've been told it takes to be, you know, well and beautiful and all of the things. And, you know, part of it is that it's such a simple message that it becomes really difficult to think, well, how could that be? I've struggled so much. I've tried so hard and I haven't been successful this sounds way too easy. In fact, it kind of sounds so easy that you and I also have challenges because people think, oh, okay, that's what I'll do. I'll just not diet and I'll I'll just eat anything and that'll be fine. When in fact, what we what we try to help people do is walk through a state a series of decisions, like conscious decisions. And, you know, helping people recognize what those decisions are, the questions to ask, what gets in the way. That's really the work that we do in partnership with people who are ready to make this shift. Right. And yes, I love that you said that too, because, you know, I find when people start hearing things like what you're saying, eat what you love, that because there's that restrictive mentality they've had for so long and they've been dieting for so long to them having those labels of good food, bad food that quote unquote, bad foods typically are the foods that they say they love that are their non-diet foods. And so they go, oh, well, now I can eat all the foods that I have been restricting myself from all the foods that I really love that I've really wanted all this time that I've not allowed myself to have. So you're saying I can have all of these foods in this category. I'm not going to diet. So all those diet foods are now off the table. So you're telling me that if I eat all these foods in this category, with abandon that I'm going to be fine. And they look at me sideways. Like that's what I'm saying. They're saying, basically they hear me initially saying, go binge on all these foods that are your non-diet foods that you've labeled as bad. And I'm did I say that? But that's what they hear initially, which is so yeah. interesting to me. Yeah. Well, it makes sense though. I mean, yeah, they're filtering it through a diet paradigm. Mm-hmm. So the diet paradigm is I'm going to either restrict or binge on these foods. I'm going to restrict or I'm going to, I'm going to be in control or I'm going to be out of control. And so when we talk about eating what you love, the, all they can think of is, oh, so it's the out of control phase or it's the foods I eat when I'm not restricting and and or it's the way I eat when I'm not restricting. When in fact, there's a third option. And that's really what we're talking about here is this third option is, yes, all foods are on the on the playing field. All foods are open to your choosing. And here's some decision-making uh, tools that will help you figure this out without having to look foods up and write foods down. 
So for example, you you already know this, but for example, one step to this is the first stage of transformation, which is to learn how to listen to your body wisdom about why you're wanting to eat in the first place. If you're not even hungry when you're wanting that food, then the the next question isn't, is this food allowed or not? The question is, well, then why do I want to eat? Because that takes you down a completely different decision-making path. Mm-hmm. Let's say you are hungry and this food looks, you know, or you're thinking about eating, you know, then you may want to consider what you're hungry for, including what you're craving, including what you want to feed your body, including what's available. So again, I'm not trying to make this more difficult. What I'm suggesting is that there are a series of conscious decisions that you can make about your eating. Once you know those questions to ask yourself, you will never, ever have to diet again. Mm -hmm. First, you got to ask the questions. It's not eat with abandon. Although, you know, honestly, it makes sense that when you finally lift the rules that at first you might want to eat more of the foods that you've been restricting. But when you truly get that those foods will never be restricted again, the urge to binge on them kind of goes away because you can have them whenever you want. You're not, you didn't blow it. You're not a bad person. There's nothing to feel guilty about. So you begin to tune into your body wisdom and say, oh, wait, I think I've had enough or, oh, I had too much. Next time I eat this food, I'm going to remember that, you know, eating the whole sleeve is too much. You know, I, I don't need that much to feel satisfied with this food. I can have it whenever I want it. So why feel miserable when I'm done? Exactly. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking to so many people that I've told that to, and they they didn't believe me when I said that. They're like, there's no way I don't trust myself around that food. I can't have it in my house. There's, you know, they look at me like, when I tell them that, they're like, are you serious? I don't go have a bunch of it in your house for a while and see, yeah, initially to your point, you might, you might overeat it. You might binge it because you've restricted for so long. You're not doing that behavior because it's been around this whole time. That's a reaction to the restriction. Yes. Right. Exactly. Um, That's hard to really wrap their head around. Yeah. But, but then, then what happens? Then they come back, you know, weeks later and they're like, OMG, right? I I bought ice cream and it's still in my freezer. That's never happened before. You know, right. it is, is such a beautiful thing to see people finally experience it, mm-hmm. you know, and to finally experience what it's like to be able to have, uh, in my case, it was chocolate. That was my, that was my binge food, one of my binge foods. And to, you know, I have chocolate in my house virtually all the time. And I literally cannot remember the last time I've binged on chocolate. It just doesn't happen anymore because it's not a restricted food. And I no longer feel powerless around that food. I'm totally in charge. I don't need to control it because I get to decide when I eat it and when I don't, when I've had enough. (laughs) I'm laughing too, because I'm just thinking if somebody would have told me way back, way back, dating myself now, but oh gosh, you're going to be able to have Oreos in your house and not binge on them or like (laughs) think about them all the time. I would have looked at them sideways been like, you nuts. Like, but I'm just thinking I have had Oreos in my pantry for, they're probably stale now actually, but that's really something, right? Like I would have never thought that that person was sane when they told me that. 
Yeah. Well, and for those listening, don't let your brain talk you out of considering another possibility. My guess is that most of your listeners, they know exactly what you're describing here. We, we've all been there. We've most of us been there and we've, you know, it's understandable that maybe you have doubts about it, but don't let those doubts stop you from actually experiencing this for yourself. You know, diet culture wants you to stay stuck in this pattern of the eat, repent, repeat cycle, but it's not necessary. And 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 in fact, I think the freedom that you're going to find on the other end is so liberating that what actually ends up happening is you have created space in your life to actually do the things that you love and to you know, spend your brain power on things that are more creative and more fun and more loving and more connected instead of wasting so much energy trying to talk yourself out of having another pile of Oreos, right? Yeah. I mean, just to your point about a resolution, right? Actually having more time and space and energy for a fuller life and to, you know, cut out the time you're, I mean, think about when you're on a diet, it consumes your life. When you're really yeah. thinking about food all the time, mm. it takes up so much mind space. And, mm. you know, it'll, I wonder if people are listening going, that sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like a lot of effort to like take all these steps and do all this. That sounds like too much. But if people listening, like really ask yourself when you are on a diet, isn't it revolve? Your whole life revolves around it, right? It's like, that's consuming. Oh, it sure is. It just depresses me to even think about it. And when you're not on the diet, then the opposite happens. You're feeling guilty about the foods you eat. You're feeling regretful. And you know that there's going to come a day when you're not going to be allowed to have them anymore because you're going to have to go back on the stupid diet. Mm -hmm. And so either way, whether you're on or off, you're not feeling great. And I, I think people forget that. We all remember how great it feels that first day or two on the diet when we finally feel like we're back in control. Mm -hmm. Don't forget what happens not long after that. And believe me, it's not just you. It's all of us. I mean, diets are not sustainable. It, it's not, you're not flawed. You're not broken. You're not uh, on the wrong diet. It's not that you don't have willpower. It's that Willpower is a very ineffective strategy for lifestyle change, which is, you know, ultimately what it takes to make a difference in your life is to truly change your relationship with food and the way you think about food. And believe me, it doesn't, it doesn't involve willpower and avoidance, does it, Christina? No, not, it, it seems like that's what you need to do, but no, it has nothing to do with that. Um, but as we're talking, I think there's this whole other component to things that the diet and beauty industry also pushes toward people, which is if you, you know, don't look this certain ideal way, mm. you don't have any value worth, you're not attractive. And so I constantly get questioned, well, how else am I supposed to lose weight? How else am I supposed to look like I want to or um, feel good about my body? And so it's one thing to make peace with food and to, you know, stop getting on the cycle. But the emphasis people have on still focusing on, yeah, that's great and all, but I still want to look a different way. Um, yeah. 
And so I think that's where the other part comes in, where the dining beauty industry is still pummeling people with this unrealistic, idealized body image that, like, if you don't look like this, something is so wrong with you, right? Um, so hand me your money and I'll fix it for you, right? right. I mean, that's that's the underpinnings of this is that, you know, it it keeps people out, it others people, it keeps people on a on the diet treadmill, spending money on things that don't really matter or make a difference in the long run while we're all feeling bad about ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that is a, that I think is a tough problem and it's why our voices get drowned out. Christina is that, you know, people are focused on, well, weight loss is the epitome of uh, beauty and, and goals for the new year. And so you know, I don't try to talk people out of that. I understand it. Our culture is built around the thin ideal. So it makes sense to me that people would, you know, struggle with body image when that's what they're faced with all the time. But I think individually, we can curate our social media. We can be very careful not to be putting in front of ourselves these images of the before and after images, the maybe the uh, photoshopped or, you know, filtered images that tell us something different about the way people really are in, in person. And I think we also can really look closely at what our true values are. Mm-hmm. You know, my values are really much more around um, experiencing my life with my family and friends and making a difference in the world and I can do that in the body that I have. I don't have to change the way that I look or act or um, any of those things to meet up with some standards that don't fit. So it's a it's a tough issue, but I think it is one that that is so important to come to face with. Absolutely. And I just wanted to bring that up too, because I know that's also part of what comes around this time of the year. It's like such an emphasis on that and I know the pressures um you know social media just it makes it worse and to your point right being able to curate what you do get you know your algorithm if you will on your social media even maybe taking a little bit of a break and not looking at it all that much because that's actually very healthy I've done it for a while and it's really nice it's great yeah and it's interesting to see how your attitude changes when you're not being confronted day in and day out with what you should look like or what you should be doing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm a physician. I'm I'm all about balanced eating and and movement. But I'm all about joyful movement. I'm all about having fun in our bodies. I'm all about enjoying our food and when we're not hungry, doing other things that we enjoy and practicing self-care. So, it's a much broader definition of well-being than you know, what your number on the scale says. Oh, I love that you said that. Just Can we smash all the scales? <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Let's have a scale smashing party, huh? Really? I mean, that number is like, it has so much power and control over people. And mm-hmm. oh my goodness, like, it, seriously, people listen. And when I got rid of the scale, it was so liberating. It's the best thing ever. Yeah. Well, I was talking to somebody today about the, um, you know, the importance of weights in healthcare and how much that's influencing people now too. And and that's a whole other 
complicated issue because even if you and I want to smash the scales, a lot of people have, you know, clinical practitioners, doctors, and others who are emphasizing weight. And so I, I do understand how complicated this is. Right. You know, we, you know, that we wrote a paper, I wrote a, um, a multidisciplinary review about the challenges, the consequences of a weight centric approach to, to health. Right. And I would just, the short, the short version of that very long article and all the research that I read is that your weight does not determine your health. Even if your doctor thinks it does or says it does, it does not. That health is is a series of of complicated um, issues. It's it's your genetics, it's your physical activity, your well being, your stress levels, mm-hmm. and probably one of the most difficult sources of stress for people in larger bodies is the stigma that they face every day. And so we do have some larger societal issues to address, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you want to let the bully move into your own brain, you know, make your own brain a safe place for your body to, to come to and, and to be accepted fully as you are just in, in the body that you have right now without thinking you need to change it. Love that. Um, now you have a program coming up, which is great, great timing for people who maybe want to not go the normal route this year and try something completely different, like you said, which I think strongly encourage. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, we're kind of giving a gift to your listeners, to my newsletter readers. I'm doing a 90 minute free masterclass called the anti-resolution plan how to eat with ease. So what we'll do is go through the the steps that it really takes to make a shift from where you are to where you ultimately want to be, which is free of all this so that you can live your life fully. So we'll talk about those stages of transformation that I mentioned here, and you'll leave with some very specific actionable things that will hopefully have you thinking very differently about New Year's resolutions this year. That is honestly, that's fantastic. Anybody who's not ever heard Michelle or worked with Michelle, I strongly encourage you to. She's amazing. Um, that is truly a real huge gift. So um, amazing. That yeah. will be in the show notes for sure. So um, yeah, it, the, the URL is easy anyway. It's amihungry.com slash anti-resolution plan. All one word, anti-resolution plan. So yeah, I'll get, I'll uh, make sure that you have the URL for the show notes and, you know, I just encourage you to check it out. Even if it seems too good to be true, you got two people in front of you right now who, who promise you it was true for us individually. And we've seen it with thousands and thousands of people we've worked with. And so I, I say it's time to, to think in a new way. Absolutely. Michelle. It's always so wonderful to have you on here. It's like one of my favorite things when I get to have mm-hmm. Michelle on the show. Um, any last final words before we end? Well, I, I just want to say we talk about New Year's resolutions. I don't make an old resolution. In, in the new year, it's really a time for transformation. Uh, so don't do what you've always done. Don't, you know, lots of diets are, you know, different wolves in sheep's clothing. Just be careful to really look at what you're even considering and and 
make a plan to actually make a change this year. All right. Again, as always, love having you here. Um, Happy holidays to you. And uh, everybody head on to the show notes and get that free masterclass. It sounds amazing. Thank you so much. I hope to see you there, Christina. And I, I know you can help people with these things as well. So I appreciate you continuing to spread the word. Well, maybe if we're loud enough, eventually some some things will change, Michelle. So that's well, my hope too. Ever the optimist. <laughs> <laughs> Always. All right. Take care. Take care. Thank you. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.